Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Okay, a series of unfortunate events. Book the 11th, The Grim Grotto. Peyton, you fell asleep on us last night. Jesus Christ, you made your phone. How did I do that? I (laughs) I did that with a piece of paper. Oh, oh, that was good. I was trying to be assertive and aggressive. (laughs) And I was actually too tired to read the second chapter, so. See? It's like you have to do it. It's like beginner's luck. <laughs> he told you it's hard. Okay. I did it with his hand. Okay. Okay. Let's. Okay. That probably doesn't sound good in the phone. Yep. Now we're just fanning it. I told you it's like hard to recreate it. All right. Chapter six. Remember, they need a kid to go in the um, in the grotto. But of course, you don't remember because. You fell asleep? Well, that's the point. Why are we in my bed then? Front and back. I read, we've read 112 pages. Front and back. You don't get it. It's a friend's reference. I'll, I'll show you the a clip so you can be like, oh, yeah. Oh, you, can so pre- you can pretend that it's like funny. You can be like, <laughs> okay. Oh, you're, warm. you're warm too. Okay, chapter six. You youngsters look very Ah. spiffy in those helmets, Phil said, with a wide, optimistic smile on his face. I know you must be a little nervous, but I'm sure sure all of you children will rise to the occasion. The Baudelaire orphans sighed and looked at one another from the inside of their diving helmets. When someone tells you to rise to the occasion, rise to the occasion, it means that they think you'll be strong enough, that you'll be strong enough for this for a particular situation, but Violet, Klaus, and Sunny didn't know if they could rise to the occasion when they were so afraid of sinking. Although they had dragged their helmets back and forth to the barracks, they hadn't realized how awkward they were until this strap, they strapped them into the waterproof uniforms. Violet didn't like the fact that she couldn't reach through the helmet to tie up her hair, in case she needed to invent something on the spur of, in the spur of the moment, a phrase here which means while traveling through a Gorg- Gorgonian grotto. Klaus found that it was difficult to see the small circular window of the helmet interfered with his glasses, and Sunny was not at all happy about curling up inside of a helmet, sh- shutting the tiny door and being carried by her sister as if she was some volleyball instead of a young girl. When they had put their uniforms on just a few hours earlier, the three siblings thought that the waterproof suits had fit them like a glove. <sighs> but now... As they were followed by Captain Wooderson's out of the main hall in the damp, dripping corridor, the children feared that the uniforms fit more like an anchor dragging them down into the depths of the sea. Don't worry, Fiona said as she read the Baudelaire's minds. She gave the siblings a small smile from behind their diving helmet. I assure you that these suits are completely safe. Safe, but uncomfortable. As long as we can breathe, said Violet. I don't care how uncomfortable they are. Of course you'll be able to breathe, the captain said. Aye, the oxygen systems in your helmets provide you plenty of air for your short journey. Of course there's an opportunity to remove your helmets. You should do so. Aye, that's the way you can recharge yourself, 
or that's the way it can recharge itself. You'll have more air. Where, where would we find an opportunity to remove our helmets underwater in the cave? Klaus asked. Who knows, Captain Wooderson said. Ah, you'll be in uncharted waters. I wish I could go myself. Aye, but the grotto has become too narrow. How I know. How in Kella, said Sunny. Her voice muffled inside the helmet, and it was difficult even for her siblings to know what she was saying. I think my sister's curious about how we'd be able to see our way, Violet said. Does the Queequeg have a water have waterproof flashlights? Mm, flashlights won't help you, Wooderson's replied. Aye, it's too dark. Aye, but you won't need to... But you won't need to see your way, aye. If Klaus's calculations are correct, the tide will push you along the way, aye. And you won't even have to swim. You just sit there and you'll drift right into the sh- right to the sugar bowl. That seems like an awfully passive way to travel, Fiona said. Aye, her stepfather agreed. But it does, but there is no other solution. We should not hesitate. He pointed to, he and he pointed to the plaque. He or she who hesitates is lost, he reminded them. It's a little hard not to hesitate, Violet said, before doing something like this. It's not it's not too late to draw straws, the captain said. Aye, you don't all have to go together. Three of us preferred not to be separated, Klaus said. We've had too much trouble that way. I should think you've had too much trouble in any case, Captain said. Aye. The Baudelaire's are right, stepfather, Fiona said. This is this is what makes most sense. We need Violet's mechanical expertise, Klaus's knowledge of the title charts, and Sunny's size may come in handy if the grotto gets even smaller. Oop, Sunny said, which something's like which means something like I don't like the idea of drifting by myself in a helmet. What about you, Fiona? the captain asked. Aye, you could stay here with me. My skills might be needed as well, Fiona said quick quietly, and the Baudelaire shuddered. Trying not to think about the Medusid mulcium, mycelium and its poisonous spores. Aye, the Captain Wooderson's admitted and smooths his mustache out with one gloved fingers. Well, I'm going to tell VFD all about this. We're going to tell VFD all about this. Aye, all four of you volunteers receive, receive citations for bravery. The Baudelaire's looked at one another as best they could through a small circular window. A citation for bravery is nothing more than a piece of paper stating that you have been courageous at some time, and some citations have not been known to be very useful when confronted by danger, whether deep water or un, whether deep underwater or as the Baudelaire's would eventually learn high up in the air as anybody can write the citations for bravery, and I have even been known to write one for myself from time to time in order to keep my spirits in the middle of a treacherous journey. The three siblings were more interested in surviving the voyage through Gorgonian, the Gorgodian grotto, grotto rather than receiving a written statement complimenting them on their courage. But they knew Captain Wooderson's was trying to keep their spirits up as he led them down the corridor to the room where they had first encountered the captain of the Queequeg. To get into the water, the captain said, you must climb up that same ladder that gave and gave, wait, the same ladder and gave a holler, give a holler when you reach the hatch. Then... I'll activate the valve down there so the submarine won't flood with the water when you open it. Then, as I said, you'll just let the current carry you. You should end up the same place as the sugar bowl. And you still won't let us tell why the sugar bowl is so important? Klaus, Violet couldn't help asking. It's not the sugar bowl, Captain Wooderson said. It's what's inside. I, it's already, I've already said too much. There are secrets in this world too terrible for young people to know. Just think if you knew about the sugar bowl and how... 
sugar bowl and you somehow fell into Count Olaf's clutches, there's no telling what he'd do, I... But look on the bright side, Phil pointed out. Whatever terrible things might be lurking in that cave, you won't find Count Olaf. There's no way Octopus Submarine could fit. I, Captain agreed, but we'll watch for him on the sonar just in case. We'll watch for you too, I. We'll bring we'll be right here watching you the entire time. The oxygen in your helmets make good enough noise so you'll appear like four tiny dots on the screen. Now, off you go. Good luck. We'll be wishing you the best, Phil said. The adults gave each of the children a part a pat on the helmet, and without any further hesitation, off the boat alert ch- and children and Fiona went with them, following up the ladder of the hatch which they had come aboard the four volunteers were quite as quiet as they made their way up until violet reached the reached up with one hand and the other was clutching sunny's helmet and grabbed the helmet that opened the hatch we're ready she called down although she did not feel ready at all i the captain's voice said i am activating the valve now wait five seconds and then open the hatch i but don't hesitate i whoever hesitates is lost i or she i good luck good I good fortune. I good journey. I goodbye. I goodbye. <laughs> there was a distant clanging, presumably the sound of an activate of the sound of the valve activating, and the four children waited for five seconds, just as you may wish to wait a few seconds yourself, so that all the thoughts of the Baudelaire's predicaments vanish from your imagination, so that you'll be not weeping as you learn several boring facts about the water cycle. The water cycle to review consists of three key phenomena evaporation precipitation and collection which are equally as boring thus equally less upsetting than what happened to the baudelaire's and violet opened the hatch to the icy dark waters of the sea and how it rushed in the passageway if you if you were to read what happened to them in the moments that followed you would find yourself unable to sleep as you wept into your pillow and pictured the children all alone in that grim grotto drifting slowly to the end of the cavern and yet if you would read about the water cycle you wouldn't find yourself unable you would find yourself unable to stay awake due to the boring description of the process by which the water is distributed around the world and so cur- courteously to courteously to you I will continue this book in a way that is best for all concerned the water cycle consists of three phenomena, evaporation, precipitation, and collection, which are three phenomena that make up what is known as the water cycle. Evaporation is the first phenomena that is expressed of the water phenomena. Tur- phenomena. Phenomena. turning to the va- vapor and eventually turning into clouds such as those found in the skies or on cloudy days or even cloudy nights. These clouds even form by a phenomenon known as evaporation, which is the first of the three phenomena that makes up the water cycle. Evaporation is the first of these three and is simply a term which, uh, for a process which waters turn into vapor and eventually form clouds. Clouds can be recognized by their appearance, usually on cloudy days. Okay, this is like so boring. Okay. Uh, the name for the process in which the clouds are formed by water, which turn into vapor and become the formation known as clouds, is evaporation. The first phenomena, the first phenomenon is in the three phenomena that make up the water cycle, otherwise known as the water cycle. Make up the cycle of water, otherwise known as the water cycle. Be sure that you must you must be asleep by now so you can separate the horrifying details of the Baudelaire's journey. The instant Violet opened the hatch to the passageway, it flooded with water and the children drifted out of the submarine into the blackness of the Gorgonian Grotto. The Baudelaire's knew, of course, that the Queequeg had entered the the underwater cave, but they still were unprepared for how very dark and cold it was. Sunlight had not reached the waters of the grotto for quite some time, since 
and Whistle Aquatics was still up and running, a phrase here which means not destroyed and under suspicious circumstances. The water felt like a freezing black glove encircling the children with its chilly fingers. As Klaus predicted after studying the tidal charts, the currents of the cave carried the youngsters away from the submarine, but in the darkness it was impossible to see how far they were how fast or far they were going. Within minutes, the four volunteers lost sight of the Queequeg and then of one another. They're not holding on to each other? And by the way, if the current is so strong, how are they going to get back? Why are you laughing? Well, because I'm like, what's the plan here? The grotto had been equipped with some sort of lighting system as it once had. The children could have seen a number of things. They might have noticed something, noticed the mosaic on the grotto floor. Thousands and thousands of colorful tiles depicting noble events from the early history of the secret organization and portraits of famous writers, scientists, artists, musicians, philosophers, and chefs who had inspired the the organization's members. They might have seen the enormous rusting pipe pumping machine, which was able to drain the entire grotto or flood it with the seawater again in merely minutes. They might have gazed up forward and seen sharp angles of various vertical flame diversions and other secret passageways that had once led up by the Marines to the Marine Research Center and rhetorical advice service, or even spotted the person who was using one of the passageways. Now, and probably for the last time as she made herself difficult her difficult and dark way towards the Queequeg, but instead all the children could see was through their small circular window was darkness. The Baudelaire's had seen darkness before, of course, darkness in the secret passageways and the tunnels, darkness in the ban- in abandoned buildings and empty streets, darkness in the eyes of wicked people, and even darkness in caves, but never before had the orphans felt so completely in the dark as they did now, and they did not know where the- they did not know where they were, although once Violet felt very briefly, her feet brush up against something very smooth, like a tiny fitted firmly against the ground. Oh, a tiny file, a tile fitted firmly against the ground. They could not tell where they were going, although after, after a while, Klaus had suspicion that the current had spun him and, and he was traveling upside down so that they could not tell the, when they would arrive, although from, from time to time, Sunny saw through the diving helmet, a tiny dot of light, much like the tiny dots of Captain Wittershin said that would appear on the sonar screen of the submarine. The Baudelaire's drifted along in cold, dark silence, feeling afraid and confused and strangely lonely about when their journey would fi- would finally end. So it would, it was so sudden that it felt like it had, they had fallen into a deep, deep, deep sleep in a dark, as the cavern itself and not being jolted awake at first it sounded as if the bushel of broken glass were raining down on the children but the children realized that they had drifted off to the to resurface of the water or to the surface of the water in in one curling fluid moment motion the tide pushed them onto something that felt like a beach and the three children found themselves crawling on the slope of dark wet sand klaus violet called through her helmet are you there what's happened i don't know klaus replied he could barely see and his, he could barely see his sister crawling alongside him. We haven't even reached the surface of the sea, yet we're very, very... We've, we couldn't have reached the surface of the sea. We were very, very deep. Is Sunny with you? Yes. Sh- yes, Sunny said with her helmet. Fiona? I'm here, came out the voice of the mycologist. Where are we? How can we still be, how can we still be the surface of the sea without any water around us? 
I'm not sure, Klaus said, but it must be possible. After all, a submarine can be below the sea and stay dry. Are we on another submarine, Violet asked. I don't know, Sunny said, and, and frowned in her helmet. Look, the Baudelaire's looked around through, although it took them a few moments to realize what Sunny was talking about as they could barely as they could not see the direction their sister was pointing, but in the moment they saw two lights in the short distance of what the volunteers were crawling. Hesitantly, they stood up, except Sunny, who remained curled up in her helmet, and she saw that the lights were coming from a place that many lights come from, a lamp. A short distance away, standing against a wall, were three floor lamps, each with a letter on its shade. First lamp had a V, the second had an F, and the third floor lamp had burnt out, and... It was too dim to read the shade, but the children knew, of course, that it must be a D. Yep. What is this place? Fiona asked. But as the children stepped closer, they could see what kind of place it was. As this, as they had suspected, the currents of the Gorgonian Grotto had carried them to a beach, but it was a beach containing a narrow room, and the youngsters stood up at the top of the slope and peered into the small dim room. With a smooth tile, the walls looked damp and slippery, and the sand-covered an assortment of small objects, some piles, some in piles, and some half buried in the sand. The children could could see bottles, some still with corks and caps, and some cans intact from their journey. Where a few books and the pages had bloated as if water, as bloated as if soaked in water, and few small cases that looked locked. There was a roller skate turned upside down, a deck of cards sitting in two piles as if somebody were about to shuffle them. Here and there were few were a few pens sticking out of the sand like porcupine quills, and there were many objects that the children could not identify in the gloom. Where are we? Fiona asked. Why isn't this place full of water? Klaus looked up but could not see past a few feet. There must be a strange... Uh, there must be a passage of some sort, Klaus said. Straighten up and straight up to dry land an island maybe or something that curves to the shore and muscle aquatics violet said thoughtfully we must be underneath its ruins oxo sunny said does that mean we can breathe without our helmets i think so klaus said then he carefully removed his helmet an action here in which i have given him a citation for bravery yes he said we can breathe everyone take off our helmets that way our oxygen systems will recharge but what is this place fiona asked removing her helmet why would anybody build a room way down here? It looks like it's just been abandoned, Violet said. It's full of junk. Someone must have come here to, to change the light bulbs, Klaus pointed out. Besides, all this junk was washed up by the tide like us. And like the sugar ball, Sunny said. Of course, Fiona said, looking down at the objects in the sand. It must be, it must be here someplace. <clears throat> Let's find out and get out of here, Violet said. I don't like this place. Mission, Sunny said, which meant... Once we find the sugar bowl, our work here is done. Not quite, Klaus said. We still have to return to the Queequeg against the current. See, when we're sold. I might add, looking for the sugar bowl is only half the battle. Everyone nodded in agreement, and the four volunteers spread out and began to examine the objects in the sand. Saying that something is half the battle is like saying it is half a sandwich because it's too dangerous to announce it. Something that is half the battle is much more difficult to part might be waiting in the wings a phrase here which means coming up more quickly than you like you might think learning you might think learning how to boil water is half the battle only to learn that making a poached egg is a much trickier was much trickier than you think you might think that climbing up a mountain is half the battle only to find that the mount 
the mountain goats who lived at the top of the vicious and who live at the top are vicious and heavily armed. And you might think that rescuing a kidnapped ichnologist is half the battle, only to discover that making a poached egg is much trickier than you than you thought, and the entire battle would be much more difficult and dangerous. Yeah, it's making me read it again. Much more dangerous than you would imagine. The Baudelaire's literally I just said that twice. I'm sorry. Like I just think that again. I'll say it again. I think these books should be half the, half of the length. And I think that if I was a kid trying to love reading, I this would make me not want to finish the books. Sorry, guys. I'm not. I don't want to be negative. Eh. Um, Baudelaire's and their mycologist friend thought that looking for the sugar bowl was half the battle, but I'm sorry to tell you that they were wrong, and it is lucky that you fell asleep earlier during my description of the water cycle so that you will not learn about the other half of the Baudelaire's battle in ghastly poison that would end up battling not long after the, through the sand. I found a box of rubber bands, Violet said after a few minutes, and a doorknob, two mattress springs, a half a bottle of vinegar, paring knife, but no sugar bowl. I found an earring and a broken clipboard, book of poetry, a half a stapler, and the, and the, and three swizzle sticks, Klaus said, but no sugar bowl. Three, three canned soups, and he said, peanut jar, peanut butter, crackers, pesto, wasabi, low mine, but no nasardish, no, I don't know what that means, no nasard, not as sure. This is harder than I thought, Klaus said. What have you found, Fiona? Fiona didn't answer. Fiona, Klaus asked again, and Baudelaire's turned to look at her. The mycologist was not looking at the siblings. She was looking past them, her eyes wide with the fear behind the triangular glasses. Fiona, Klaus said, with something with a bit worry, with a bit of worry, what have you found? Fiona swallowed and pointed down the, the slope of the sand. Mycelium, she said firmly, a faint whisper that the Baudelaire's turned to see if, if she had spoken the truth. The sand out of the sand quickly and silently were the stalks and caps of the metasoid mycelium, the fungus Fiona had described back at the Kleekled. The invisible threads of the mycelium, according to the mythological book, waxed and waned and had been waning, waning when the volunteers drifted ashore, which meant that the mushrooms had been hiding underground and the children, when the children had arrived in this strange room. But now, as time passed, they were waxing and sprouting up all over the beach and even smooth tiled walls at first just a handful were visible each one dark and gray in color with splotches on the caps as if they were splattered with ink and then more and more like the dead silent deadly crowd that had gathered on the beach was staring blindly at the terrified children and was the mushrooms only ventured halfway back up the slope of sand so that it seemed that the poisonous fungus was not engulfing them not yet anyways, but the, as the mycelium continued to wax, the entire beach sprouted up in sinister mushrooms. And it was until the Baudelaire's had to huddle against the sand in the light of the floor lamp and stare back at the venomous myco- mycological crowd. More and more mushrooms appeared, crowding to a strange shore, piling up on one another as if they were pushing and shoving each other to get a good look at the trapped, frightened children. Looking for the sugar bowl may have been half the battle, but the Baudelaire orphans were trapped, and half was much, much more troubling. After this book, every other chapter, we're going to read some Heidi Heckleback because these people need a break from this series, honestly. And we're, we we're going to try and get through the Heidi Heckleback series before October so we can just... Do spooky books. Ah. 
my brain is going to explore from boredom. <sighs> We're going to lose readers. I mean, listeners from this, this series. Oh my God.